evil and good will continue to coexist in the world even after he brings the kingdom of God. The wheat, the children of the kingdom, and the weeds, the children of the evil one, are in the same field until the end, until judgment day. And and it's important to realize that they're not like football teams on opposing sidelines, separated from one another. No, they're intermingled, intermixed, so much so that it's often hard to tell who is who. In World War II, um, when Germany began their movement west and very quickly, to the surprise of all of the allies, took France and occupied France, there was for a time in France literally two nations and two governments set up in France claiming authority to oversee the same plot of God's earth and the same group of people at the same time. And German people, specifically German soldiers, and French people existed side by side at the same time. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying our world is going to be like, what our world is like. That's the point. So let me pause here and do a a real quick aside that if you're going to if you're going to really understand this parable you need to know this there there's a pretty significant interpretive point that needs to be made people that study the bible for a living bible scholars and pastors they debate about whether Jesus is speaking about wheat and weeds together in the world in general or whether this is a parable about wheat and weeds together in the church in the church specifically and that actually inter that makes a big difference in how you interpret and apply this parable. And so let me just address that real quickly, okay? It's very clear, I think, that the main point Jesus is making is that wheat and weeds, good and evil, will continue to exist in the world until he returns. I mean, Jesus says in verse 38, the field is the world. The field is not the church. The field is the world. But... I think it's a secondary point that is also valid to say that the church is going to be impacted by this. I mean, after all, Jesus opens the story by saying the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he tells the parable. And the primary manifestation of the kingdom of heaven in this world is the church. Then he also says uh, that the wheat and the weeds are often indistinguishable from one another which I think if you've been a Christian for more than five minutes, you'll know by experience is often the case. We saw this last week in the parable of the sower. Sometimes the, the, fruit sp- the plants sprout quickly from the seed, but they get choked out by thorns or they get shrouded out by other cares. That's, I think, similar to what Jesus is saying here. And then lastly, just notice with me in verse 41, Jesus says, the son of man will send his angels and they will gather Out of where? Out of his kingdom. All causes of sin and all lawbreakers. So I think what what we can say is this. The church is certainly going to experience the effects of the fact that the world is full of both good and evil. The parable applies to the fact that there's still evil in the world after Jesus has come And this evil will sometimes spill over into the church, so much so that the weeds can be confused for 
the wheat. However, the point remains. The kingdom of God comes gradually. The kingdom has come in Jesus. But final judgment, the final reckoning of all evil and wickedness, that has not yet come. Listen, this surprised Jesus' disciples because what they wanted and expected was the full final kingdom to come right away. Jesus to come in on a war horse, take the Romans out and set up his physical, visible kingdom right then and there, of which, of course, they thought they would be the chief parts. But that's not what Jesus did, which is why they were so confused about this story. So what does this mean for you now, 2,000 years later? Let me, let me just tell you two things by way of application from this part of the parable, from current coexistence and the patience of God. Here's the first thing. This parable teaches us about the nature, okay? Listen, the nature of the kingdom of God during our age. Listen, it is not the goal of the kingdom of God in our age to dominate the field by destroying all the weeds. Jesus knows there are weeds in his field. He knows there's evil in the world. Look at how unsurprised he is in the story. And Jesus explicitly says that his people should not root the evil weeds up right now, but should rather wait to the end. What does that mean? Here's what it means. Practically, the kingdom of God does not come by acquiring or maintaining worldly power. American Christians, perhaps more than any Christians on the face of the planet, need to hear that. The kingdom of God does not come by acquiring worldly power. It does not come by uprooting weeds violently. The kingdom of God in this age is nonviolent. And it grows gradually and secretly and slowly. There are always, Jesus is saying, going to be weeds and wheat in the world. So, Any and every effort by Christians to create a pure Christian society will inevitably fail. Any effort by Christians to create a pure Christian society will fail. This is an error that Christians have been making for centuries. It goes all the way back to the fourth century when a man named Constantine became the emperor of Rome. Some of you will know this story. Constantine was converted, allegedly, it's a debate as to whether his conversion was genuine. He was converted to Christianity and decided that he wanted Rome to be a Christian empire. And so he wanted all of his soldiers to be baptized. So what did Constantine do? Did he preach the gospel to them? The kingdom of God comes by hearing? Well, sure. But then he said, oh, by the way, if you don't believe it, I'm going to drown you in the river. If you don't become a Christian, I'm going to put you to the sword. You see, state power and church power were the same thing in a Constantinian structure. The problem of Constantinianism, there's your big word for the day. The problem of Constantinianism continues in all kinds of forms on both the right and the left even today. It's, it's a tendency that many of us are prone to, to think that if we can just get the right person in the presidential office, if we can just have conservative Christians running the nation, if we can just end this law or repeal that law, then finally we'll have a pure Christian society. Jesus says, no, don't pull up the weeds. That's not your job. 
There's always going to be weeds and wheat in the world. The kingdom comes by people hearing the good news, not by acquiring cultural power. In fact, as Jonathan reminds us, as we think about Afghanistan this morning, oftentimes people hear the word of God more, not when the church is in power, but when the church is oppressed. In fact, that's universally been the case in church history. So that's the first thing I want us to understand and learn. The, kingdom, the nature of the kingdom of God in this world is that it grows gradually and slowly and secretly. The second thing we learn practically is that this parable teaches us about God's character. It teaches us about God's character. God is more patient than we think. God's more patient than we think. He's more patient than we can imagine. The disciples say, let's pull up the weeds. You see weeds in your garden that you work hard to cultivate? You want the weeds gone immediately. It makes sense to us. Let's pull up the weeds. But Jesus says, no. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the weed along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. What people in his day wanted and what we want today is a perfectly pure field. We want evil to be rooted out for good. But Jesus, in all his wisdom is sowing kingdom seeds in the middle of the field of the world, which still has all sorts of injustice and evil and violence. He's not surprised by weeds. He knows exactly what's happening. And for now, he continues to sow seed and he waits to uproot the weeds until the harvest. And Jesus is doing this now because as St. Augustine put it 1,500 years ago, it's possible in the miracle of the gospel for weeds to become wheat. God is right now patiently offering people who are lost in sin, who are lost in darkness, freedom of forgiveness in the gospel of Jesus. The day of judgment is coming. We'll see that in a second. But today is the day of opportunity. That's why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Behold, now, this day, this age, it's the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. So listen, even today, you, no matter who you are, can come into Jesus' good kingdom, his kingdom of life, his kingdom of light, by hearing the gospel that Jesus Christ loves you, that he calls you right now to himself. That he offers you full pardon for your sin. He offers you new identity as his son or daughter. And that simply trusting that his death covers your failures. That his resurrection guarantees your life is all that is required. You can enter in even today. That's an important thing for you to consider. It's an important thing for you to act on. As the second part of the parable shows us, we see first the current coexistence of good and evil and the patience of God. And then secondly, we'll finish with this final separation and the justice of God. Jesus's story ends in verse 30 with a final separations of the weeds from the wheat, right? He says at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, the disciples probably would have understood at least this part because this sort of harvest imagery occurs all throughout the Old Testament, which they would have known, in a reference to God's judgment. For example, the prophet Joel wrote this, Put in the sickle, 
for the harvest is ripe, for there, that is everyone's, evil is great. And in Jesus' interpretation of the parable, Jesus' main focus is on the harvest, isn't it? It's on the end. He says there will be a separation of wheat and weeds, of wheat and tares. He says the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. But the wicked will be cast out of God's presence forever. Jesus' point is clear here. If we have ears to hear, every single one of us, every single one of us should be living our lives in light of the final day of judgment. In light of the final day of reckoning, Jesus encouraging us to be patient with evil does not mean that Jesus is going to be lax with evil himself. Jesus encouraging us to be patient with evil does not mean he will be lax with evil. Part of the story of Christianity is that God is the just and good king of this world and that God will one day cast the enemy out of his field. He will pull up all the weeds, which is why Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. This is really good news for you if you're connected to Jesus in faith. This is really good news. The justice of God is good news for you. If you've turned from your sin and looked to Christ for forgiveness, God's telling you, be patient. My justice is coming. Trust me. You see, the problem the disciples had was that they wanted God to judge wickedness immediately, as we've seen. But instead, God mercifully delays judgment. He allows evil to continue to flourish as his own kingdom expands in the same field. But one day he will come and judge all men. Hebrews chapter 9 says, It is appointed for every man to die once and to face judgment. Now that is good news for you if you're a believer. Why? Because you are going to be acquitted for your guilts and for your sin, and for your failure. How? Because you've already been judged in Jesus. Jesus has already paid the penalty that you justly deserved and owed so that you can be declared righteous, justified on the last day. You can celebrate that. Justice for you is certain. Vindication for you is certain. Not because you earned it, but because Jesus earned it and then gave you freely what he earns. You can also celebrate the fact that God will banish all evil from this world forever. Justice is coming. For those who have been wrongfully accused of things, justice is coming. For those who have been sexually and physically and emotionally abused, Justice is coming for those who have been cheated and wronged in the infinite number of ways we see that in this world. Renewal is coming for the tired and the weary, for the sick, for the infected, for the poor, for the refugees and the prisoners and the hopeless and the helpless who are waiting on Christ to come again. He will come again. All will be well. If you're not connected to Jesus, then this story is a summon. A summons for you to repent and to believe the gospel and therefore connect to 
Jesus. Jesus is clear here to refuse God's offer of pardon and forgiveness now in Jesus is is to face God's just judgment at the last day. What is God's, God's just judgment? The language he uses here is almost certainly metaphorical. It's all metaphorical language that points to something that's actually worse than what the metaphor says. Separation from God. Forever. If God is the source of all goodness and hope and life, then to be separated from God is to live in eternal hopelessness and death. Bob Dylan, one of my favorite theologians, has a good song called A Hard Rain's Gonna Fall, where he writes about the hard life that he grew up in and also, I think, can apply to a world lived apart from God. Here's part of what Dylan says. We could say hell, separation from God, is a place where the people are many and their hands are all empty, where the pellets of poison are flooding their waters, where the home in the valley meets the damp, dirty prison, where the executioner's face is always well hidden, where hunger is ugly, where souls are forgotten, where black is the color and none is the number. It's a place that none of us would want to go to. So please hear the voice of Jesus lovingly warning you through this story. Anyone is invited into his kingdom. Now is the day for you. Jesus' kingdom is not a kingdom for religious people. It's, It's not a kingdom for American people only. It's not a kingdom for white people only. It's not a kingdom for the well put together. It's not a kingdom for the wealthy and established. It's a kingdom for those who see their need. For those who see their spiritual poverty, their helplessness in the face of their own sin and shortcomings, and for those who will trust into Jesus. Will you do that? Will you trust that Jesus' death covers and pardons you? That that Jesus' resurrection gives you lasting hope for life? That it is in fact in God's character to be merciful to those who are guilty and to love those who have turned away from him if they acknowledge their need and run to Jesus. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's pray.